0: you pray for the preacher, he's going to sing for us. Amen. I believe it will be a blessing. Kind of like the guy that got up to sing. He said, the first song I'm going to do is one I wrote about my lifelong struggle with tone deafness and not being able to play an instrument. Y'all pray for me. Once I was down In sin's dark prison No one around Could lift my blame I had no hope No joy for living But Jesus came And he broke the chain he broke the chain of sin and sorrow. He broke the chain of sin and shame. And he wrote my name way up in glory. Since Jesus came, he broke the chain. In a tomb he lay, it was a cold dark prison. And all the world, death seemed to rain. Oh, but Mary cried, she said, my Lord has risen. Over death he reigns, he broke the chains. He broke the chain of sin and sorrow. He broke the chain of sin and shame. And He wrote my name way up in glory. Since Jesus came, He broke the chain. I'm so glad he came, aren't you glad he came, and he broke the chain, amen. I used to uh, preach in jail every Sunday afternoon, and they'd always want me to sing that song, and uh, now that I think about it, that may be where I know some of y'all from. You do look familiar. If a king owns the cattle On a thousand hills All the wealth of this world And all the things that it yields He owns the keys to a city With a street of pure gold Tell me what could a beggar Give to belong to his foe What could a beggar Give to a king What could an outcast give one Who owns everything An old beggar could give nothing Nor a wretch like me God gave his son the sun gave his life, and the beggars go free. Like blind Bartimaeus, I sat by the way. Like a beggar in the darkness, could see the light of day. It was sure sweet of Jesus who oh, to pass my way And to give me this brand new life And now today What could have been Give to a king What could an outcast you one Who owns everything An old beggar could give nothing Nor a poor wretch like me God gave his son, his son gave his life, and the beggars go free. Well, God gave his son, his son gave his life, and I got in free. Amen. Have you gotten some help this week in revival? Have you been revived at revival? And we face a lot in this world and in this life that we live. It is good to come to the house of God and get defrosted every now and then. Get washed off, get rinsed off, get realigned with the Word of God and with the purposes of the Lord. It has been my joy to be here these last several nights. And uh, I will say what a beautiful guitar that you got your preacher. And uh, how, how many year anniversary was that? Ten. And I've been preaching revival here how many years? I got two more years. Hallelujah. I believe I can get it done. All right. So I'll just go ahead and schedule this off at least through 2022. Amen. And then whatever y'all get him for the 15th, that'll determine what we do going forward. So I, I'm i excited about that. What a blessing. But it is a joy to be with you. I love your pastor. I love his family. And I love this place. I I'll say this to you. You're in a good church tonight. And it is a wonderful thing to go to a church that has a hunger and a focus on the Word of God. If church is built on anything else, it will be constantly evolving. And you'll have to always find another gimmick, another program, another exciting endeavor. But oh, if we build on the Word of God, that is a foundation that will last for all time. And so I'm thankful that you are here, and I'm thankful that the Lord for these nights For the last eight years, got two more to go, has let me be a part of your revival meetings. And uh, so I appreciate that. I'll ask you, if you will, take your Bible, go to the book of Job, and find chapter 19. I really wanted to stay in Job chapter 2 tonight, but I'll not do that. I'll go to Job chapter 19, and I'll ask you to stand with me, and we'll read what is... Next to Job 2, probably the most familiar portion in Job's story. Job 19, verse number 25. I don't know if you've got an amen in your pocket or not, but if you do, go ahead and get it out and dust it off, alright? You've got a hallelujah in your purse. Now would be the time to get it available. Because we're just going to jump right into... Some of the most precious truth ever penned down on paper. Job 19, verse 25. Job said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And I love verse 27. It is not secondary at all to the preceding two verses. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be, distro- be consumed within me. Father, take the word tonight. Give me the liberty. Give me the wisdom. Lord, give me a nudge, give me a restraint, wherever they are needed and applicable. God, may I say all that you'd have me say, nothing more, nothing less. Lord, I pray that I'd be obedient to you and true to the text and filled with the Spirit. And I'll praise you for it, what you'll do in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Job, as we have discussed in previous nights, is the oldest penned scripture in your Bible. It is historically first in inspiration. God moved upon the author of this book that he might record the life story and, uh, more pointedly, the trials of Job. Both his response then concluding with his reward as he received it according to his response and his faithfulness. A great preacher that has often been uh, cited as trustworthy not long ago preached a message entitled God on Trial out of the book of Job. And although this is a good man by all measures, I would dare say that God is not on trial. I would go as far to say God has never been on trial. And I will proclaim boldly, God will never be on trial. How are you going to try the thrice holy judge of all time and eternity? Where will you find uh, his peers to take him into consideration. Who would preside over the judgment of God? Why, God is not on trial in the book of Job. Job is on trial. And his faith is being tried. Tennyson said that Job is the greatest poetical masterpiece of all time. But I want you to understand that Job is not a poetical masterpiece. Job is the inspired Word of God as it reflects a man who has been brought down low and by faith is ultimately lifted back on high. Job is a true story. Can I get an amen right there? There are some within the theological community. There are some uh, that uh, credit themselves and boast themselves with being professors of the word and doctors of the law. And they will say to you that Job is a fictional story. That there was no man truly by the name of Job. That this is an allegory and this is just a fable that was handed down. How many of you know some folk gotta go to college to get that stupid? I have one problem with the idea that Job was not a real man. Job chapter 1 verse 1. There was a man In the land of us, whose name was Job. Now, if we can somehow get rid of that verse, you might have an argument. But the Bible states plainly that Job was a real man who went through real hardships, who had real difficulties, hallelujah, but he found out that he had a real God. Now after Job has been criticized, he has been scrutinized, and his life has altogether fallen apart, he speaks up in chapter 19, and he says this statement, For I know that my Redeemer lives. I will say tonight that this is a bold proclamation. For a man without a Bible in his possession. You do know Job didn't have a Bible. This is a bold statement for a man that did not have a local church to reassure his faith on a weekly basis. This is a bold statement for a man who did not have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Ghost. For Job to say, I know, is a bold proclamation. As a matter of fact, I'm going to need an amen right here. I believe there was much more that Job didn't know than what Job did know. Well, I'll try that one more time. I believe Job, there was a lot more he did not know than that which he did know. And if we would be honest tonight, you and I are in much the same condition as Job. There is much more that we do not know than we do know. I was preparing for this message tonight. I was speaking to a friend of mine this afternoon on the phone and we were talking about the series on Job that the Lord's given me. And he said, uh, what are you going to preach on tonight? And I said, I don't know. He said, no, uh, what message are you preaching in the series? I said, I don't know. And so I say to you tonight, it's go time, and I don't know what I'm preaching on tonight. But now that is the title of my sermon, is I don't know. There is so much that we don't know that it far supersedes that which we do know. Many times I will have folks come to my office for counseling and uh, they'll sit down across the desk and they'll pour out their problems and they'll pour out their difficulties and when we get done, they'll say, Preacher, now, what do you think? You know what I say most of the time? I don't know. Folks will come and They'll bring their problems. They'll bring their burdens. And they'll say, Brother Jonathan, why is God allowing this to happen? And why did God let this take place? And why has God not fixed this? Many times the only answer that is available are those three words. I don't know. How many of you be honest? We don't know nearly as much as we think we know. How many of you have lived long enough to know that you don't know half of what you used to think you knew? And if we was to be honest, most of our responses in life would come back to, I don't know. I don't know. I would say, not only do we not know as much as we think we know and what we once thought we knew, I'm going to need an amen right here. I would dare say tonight that others don't know as much as we think they know. We put a lot of faith in a lot of people. And the truth of the matter is they are as ignorant as we are. And they don't know what we think they know. Some time ago I was traveling through the other side of the Smoky Mountains. This was years ago. I had a motorcycle, and me and two or three other pastor friends would get together, and we'd ride those Harleys up to Cleveland, Tennessee, and cut down by the old Coy and Ducktown, and come up through Cherokee in the back way into Gatlinburg, and we did it every year and loved it. What a great time it was! We had been gone for several days, and at the end of the trip, we were going back home, and me and another fellow was going back over through Cherokee. We stopped at one of those little local Indian stores there. You know, the kind where they sell moccasins and beads and leather. and I I hate to tell you this, but it's all made in China, just sold in Cherokee. (laughs) And uh, we stopped in there, and we were just going to stretch our legs a little while and maybe do a little shopping for the family before we went back home. We milled around in that store for a little while, and... uh, Told my friend, I said, I'm going to go to the restroom before we leave. He said, I am too. And so we walked in the restroom and he walked out. I was washing my hands and washing my face and just refreshing before we got back on the road. Walked out of that bathroom. There was an Indian fellow running that store. And I'm talking about he was 100% authentic Cherokee Indian. Cold black hair and a ponytail run down his back. That big hook nose and that dark skin wearing a black leather jacket or vest with beads on it. I mean, he fit the part to the tip. We were fixing to go out the door and he looked at my friend that was with me and he said, Do you see that fox right there? There was a taxidermied fox, a mounted fox. He said, I do. He said, "Uh, I want you to reach over there and touch that fox on the nose. And he said, I want you to pick a number between one and one hundred and I want you to whisper it to your buddy. So my preacher friend did. He rubbed that fox on the nose. He leaned over and whispered in my ear and said, 70. The Indian looked off in the, in the, in the, in the room, just looked away and rubbed his face and said, 70. I thought, well, you know, that, that could just be a chance could be just a number that people pick, you know, and they've got that figured out. He looked at my friend and said, I want you to pet that fox on the nose again. And he said, I want you to pick a color, any color, and whisper it to your friend. Talk about me. He reached over, petted that fox, leaned right up in my ear where I could just barely hear him, and he said, Violet, Violet. That old Indian looked off, rubbed his chin, Spoke up and said, "I'm not sure." Said it's a it, it, it's a reddish purple. He said, "Was it violet?" My buddy said, "Yes, it was." I'm now growing concerned about this situation. He says the third time. He said, "I want you to pet that fox and I want you to pick a flower, any flower, and I want you to tell it to your friend." I said, "I don't really like flowers. If it matters, I mean, we can just go now." He said, no, go on, do it. And my buddy petted that fox on the nose, leaned over and whispered just barely where you could hear him in my ear. He said, black-eyed Susan. I thought we got him now. Not a rose, not a lily, not a sun, a black-eyed Susan. That old Indian never missed a beat. Just that fast, he popped up and said, black-eyed Susan. I said, Robbie, let's get out of here. We went ahead head for the door and that Indian looked at me and he said, son, he said, uh, do you, he said, would you pet that fox on the nose? I said, no, sir, I'm allergic to foxes. I don't even like foxes. He said, no, go on, pet it one time. I petted that fox. He said, do you know what kind of fox that is? I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, that's a West Virginia fox. He said, but then again, your wife would know that. Because that's where she's from. Goosebumps on my arm big enough for a hog to bite popped up. I said, we need to go. That Indian spoke up again. He said, by the way, how is Amy doing anyway? I hit that door so fast about knocked it off the hinges. I went out and got on that motorcycle. I fired it up. I was hunting first year. Here come that Indian run out. He said, whoa, hang on a minute, young man. Hang on a minute. He said, I got to tell you something before you run off this mountain and kill yourself. He said, when your buddy came out of the bathroom, I told him to say 70, Violet and Black Eyed Susan. And I asked him where your wife was from and what her name was. Now, I'm here to tell you, if he'd asked me for a $1,000 to get out of that store, I'd have given him 2000 He had me fooled every which way I could have been fooled. But as it turns out, he didn't know as much as I thought he knew. And I think tonight that if we were to be honest when it comes to life, there's not much that we really know. Things that we thought we knew, come to find out, they were not as certain as we were convinced they were. Situations that we thought would never change, they crumbled overnight. What we considered to be immovable, it became movable, and we have learned throughout life that we do not know as much as we think we know. You realize that in Job's story, it is a story of questions and not really a story of answers. It is Job's wife that questions him and said, do you still retain your integrity, Job? It was his four friends that came and they sat silent for seven days. Boy, things were going well till they opened up their mouth. Then when they opened their mouth, they began to question Job. Job himself in this book is recorded as asking, one hundred and twenty-one questions. A hundred and twenty-one times Job has questions. It is God Himself that comes to Job. And God begins to question Job. Chapter 37, 38, 39, over into chapter 40. It is God that begins to question Job. He said, Job, if you know so much... Were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, were you there when I told the waves how far they could go and they could not go any further? Job, was it you who shut up the sea with doors and only allows it to break forth from time to time? He said, Job, have you ever entered into the sea and found the secret springs that Supply it, Job, do you know how broad the earth is, Job, if you know, tell it all, boy where does the where does the light go when the darkness appears? It is God that eighty-four times questions job, a hundred and twenty-one times Job questions life. And Job's story is one of uncertainty. Can I get an amen, there? I remind you tonight that Job was not aware that there had been a staff meeting in heaven and his name had been written on the board. Job didn't know if you'd have sat down with Job in those ashes and said, Job, who's behind this? Job couldn't have told you if it was God, the devil, coincidence, bad luck, or just chance. He couldn't have told you if it was just his enemies or if it was just life. Job did not know. And his life was filled with uncertainty. For all that Job endured, much of his response would have been the same. I don't know. Job, is God doing this to you? I don't know. Job, is this the devil? Unleashing havoc on your life? Job would have responded, I don't know. Job, is this just your enemies coming against you, the Chaldeans? Job would have to say in truthfulness, I don't know. Job, is it just bad luck? Is this just the way things happen sometimes? And for all that he faced, he faced it. Listen to me carefully tonight. For all that he faced, he faced it with uncertainty. And I think that if we would be honest for all of the facade and for all of the bravado and for all of the faith that we claim to have, oh, I need some honest people in the house of God tonight. For all that we claim to know when push comes to show much of what we go through in life, when really questioned about it, we would have to say, I don't know. I've sat with those who had a good Godly home, seemingly out of nowhere, devastation came. Divorce was written in their life story. Heartbroken children, broken lives. And they say, preacher, why did this happen? Well, you may have all the answers. I'll call you next time. But I find myself looking across that desk saying, I don't know. I'm burying babies in coffins no bigger than this pulpit. A broken mama and a broken father with tears in their eyes and agony in their voice say, preacher, why did God let this happen? Maybe you have a clinical answer and maybe you've got some great insight. But all I've ever been able to say is, I don't know. Brother Toby, have you sat by the bedside of a saint who has been honorable, who has been holy, who has walked with a great testimony above reproof and reproach, watch them suffer an untimely death, and they say, preacher, why would God let this happen to me? And again, the only thing that I know to say is, Say it with me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't pretend to have the answers to all the questions of life. I do not pretend to know the reason why God does and why Satan is allowed and why choices are made and why people do the things they do. I don't know. There's so much in life that we don't know. You know, something that maybe you've said Possibly I have as well. Well, preacher, we may not know now, but when we get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord. Let me say this about that. When we get to heaven, I'm not sure we're going to care anymore. And uh, when we get to heaven, I'm just not sure that's really gonna matter. This life, if we were to be honest tonight, it is filled with uncertainty. It is filled with questions that truly cannot be answered positively and affirmatively. And much of it is, I don't know. So for all that Job did not know, <laughs> Hallelujah! Job, why are your ten children dead? I don't know. Why is your wealth diminished overnight? I don't know. Job, why is your body racked with pain and it seems like there's no limit to the suffering that you're enduring physically? Why, Job? He would have to say, I don't know. Job, why would your precious faithful wife of all these years, why would she crumble under the weight of this trial and leave you to stand alone? Job would respond, I don't know. But for all that Job did not know, Thank God, there were some things that Job didn't know. Eighty-four times God asked him a question. Job had no response. A hundred and twenty-one times Job had a question. Yet, there were no answers. But when we come to chapter 19, verse 25, Job, glory, hallelujah, I'm having a time tonight. Job, whose life was filled with question marks and uncertainty, he rises up boldly and without stuttering and without apologizing and without a disclaimer. He says, there's a lot that I don't know, but let me tell you what I do know. I don't know why my children are dead. I don't know why my body is in pain. I don't know why my wife is backslid. I don't know why my wealth was taken. I don't know why God seems to have turned on me. And I don't know why the devil has been given a long lease. But let me tell you what I do know. I know that my Redeemer liveth. And I know that He'll stand at the latter day. And I know that in this body and my flesh shall I see Him. You see, there's so much that Job didn't know. And child of God, you better come to grips with the fact that there's going to be a lot on this side that we just don't know. Hallelujah. There's going to be a lot that we don't have explanations for, that we do not have answers for, that do not make sense nor will we ever see where they fit into the big scheme of God. And I'm not even really sure heaven will explain it. But for all that we don't know, somebody ought to help me rejoice. There are some things that we do know. Whoa, hallelujah. And I want to say alongside of Brother Joe, what I, glory, hallelujah, what I do know is enough to get me through what I don't know. (laughs) What I do know is enough to carry me through what I don't know. I can walk through the uncertainties of life because I know that my Redeemer liveth. I can walk through the graveyard with questions but still have joy because I know that my Redeemer liveth. I can look at the broken pieces of life and say, Lord, I'll never understand why it went this way, but I know that my Redeemer liveth. And thank God, what I do know is enough to carry me through what I don't know. Oh, child of God, you may never have the answers. God may never sit down and explain it to you. You may never see it on this side. But I want to remind you, hallelujah, of some things that we do know. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. I know that. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. First John 5, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. Paul said in the book of Philippians, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His Son. So what I'm trying to say to you tonight, is there's a lot in life that we do not know. But there are some things that we do know. And if I will take hold of what I do know, it will carry me safely through yeah. what I don't know. Isn't that good? Yeah. I wonder tonight, who's got questions? Who's got big issues that are linked back to misunderstandings between you and God? And you feel like if He just somehow would explain His side of the story, that you'd have resolution. You could move on in life. Friend, you are never promised those answers. But thank God, there are some things that we know. And what we do know will be enough to take us through what we don't know. <laughs> That's it. That's the message. Now, that sounds simple. But oh, I want to tell you how it'll change your life. If you'll quit demanding God give you an explanation and answer. If you'll quit demanding God to show you all of His reasons. And just by faith, say, Lord, I'm going to trust You for what I don't know. And I'm going to walk in what I do know. I want you to stand with me tonight. As they come to the piano, I wonder, nobody looking on, I've not given a detailed invitation this week per se. And I'm not going to get too personal tonight. But with no one looking on as our pianist is coming, I want to slip up a hand and say, Preacher, there are some things that I just don't know. Situations that I just, to be honest with you, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I've wondered and I've prayed and I've looked for answers. I've sat at a grave and said, God, why? I've sat in an empty house where a home used to be and I've said, Lord, why? I've endured difficulty. And I've sought for a reason. Go ahead, sis. I've sought for a reason. And I can't figure out why. How many of you slip up a hand and say, Preacher, I have some unanswered questions. And there's some things that I just don't know. Can I see your hand for just a second? Thank you all over this building. I got some. Friends that forsook me and I don't know why. Troubles that came out of nowhere, and I can't figure out why. Lord, oh, the Lord's bringing us to a place of faith where we will walk in what we do know until we make it through what we don't know. It's Wednesday night. It's revival. How about every hand that was raised have a foot attached that's moving toward the altar. And say, Lord, I'm going to let go of my questions. And I'm going to hold on to my faith. I'm going to let go of what I don't know. And I'm going to hold on to what I do know. All over this building, many are moving. Many already have. Others are right now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You come.